Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Second Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Chronicles, chapter one. Second Chronicles. It's page three hundred eight in the Bibles uh, in your seats. First, Second Samuel, Kings, Kings, Chronicles. That's where it is. If you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. We're in a series on prayer, and uh, a lot of content today. So I don't. We'll have to become kind of wake up together on uh, on the word here. We're kind of way into it. But if I had to give this message a title, I suppose it would be something like how to how to get what you want from God and hold on to it. Um, I suppose it would be like that, but it's that that is insufficient. The, the word today is going to deal with a lot of things um, around prayer, not simply the prayers of, of asking. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of the ways we pray, we're asking the Lord for something, and that's kind of today's prayer, but some of what we're, we're going to look at has a lot to do with prayer in general, and so... Um, maybe the title's not so good to have. If you ever watched any sort of uh, golfing or any kind of sport, um, you'll you'll hear sometimes the commentators say, you know, say there was a really great shot or a really fabulous goal or a great uh, field goal or something. The, the commentator or the announcer might say the conditions were just perfect for this. You couldn't. This could never have happened if their conditions weren't just as they they were. Uh, That is a little bit today. Today is kind of a perfect condition prayer. You're really going to see prayer uh, is really good. May we be like this. I guess that's that's what I want to say. Let's go ahead and look at the word. And I'm going to read the first six verses of 2 Chronicles, which begins, by the way, uh, with the reign of Solomon. So Second Chronicles 1 verse 1 says, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. In verse 2, Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders in all Israel, the heads of the fathers' houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting, the tent of meeting of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness, was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Bazalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. All right. I want us to see uh, several things in what I just read. Uh, I guess the first is in verse 1. Do you notice that Solomon was established and was already great? He was exceedingly great. That's what it says in verse 1. 
In other words, there's no particular need that Solomon has right now. There's no crisis. The Philistines are not surrounding Jerusalem. Assyria is not at the northern border. Uh, Solomon is well established. That's what's intended by established himself in his kingdom. He's on his throne securely. That's the intention there. Likewise, not only is he securely on his throne, but good things are coming out of it. The reign of Solomon has been, as it says in verse 1, blessed by God, and he is exceedingly great. Now, I think it's worth noting, by the way, that all of what you saw here, the re- Solomon goes up this hill, this high place of Gibeah, or Gibeon, to offer a, a thousand burnt offerings. We should note that he's not doing this because of any particular crisis. He's doing this in a time of peace, a time of glory. This is, by the way, when most kings forget God is right now. You know, we have a, we pray to God in crisis uh, a lot differently than we do in good times. Verse 2 and 3 show a little something else. Do you notice there how public Solomon's faith is? It's Solomon who musters up the leaders of Israel to take them with him to Gibeon for the purpose of the sacrifice. His faith, he, he, his faith is public, and in his faith, he invites others in. His dependency on God that he has, he shares with others. His dependency on God is testimonially visible to others, and he invites them in. So that it's not just him who walks up. This isn't a private thing. It, he, he brings many, many people with him. We'll come back to that too. Verses 4 and 5 we're not going to spend much time on. Uh, If we were going to study the book of Chronicles, we would spend more time here. Uh, Chronicles is a recap. It's a narrow, filtered recap of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. And in Chronicles, there's there's a real interest for the things of the temple and the things of the tabernacle. So it's, that's why I believe the writer's telling you, hey, the ark is here, the tabernacle's there, the tabernacle's on a high place. You should note that. It's a little disappointing that the tabernacle's on a pagan high place. But nonetheless, that's what the chronicler's doing. We're just going to kind of move on. Uh, I will say this. Solomon goes to the high place of the tabernacle, meets God as we read here. Following that, in, in Kings we read this, But he goes from there back to Jerusalem and worships God at the ark as well. Verse 6 has something for us here. A thousand burnt offerings. That's a lot. That's an awful lot. If, If you met a farmer in Montana and he said, oh, what do you do? And you said, I herd cattle. And you said, well, you know, you have like 10 head of cattle? I have like 1,000 head of cattle. You would think, wow, he has a lot of cattle. It's a lot of cattle. 1,000 burnt offerings. I don't know if it's all cattle, but 1,000 four-legged things. He offers up. 
this is serious is what I'm saying. This isn't Solomon checking the box. This is not a holy day. This is not a festival. And Solomon is not checking the box. Nor is Solomon in crisis, which is when you and I typically break out our burnt offerings. Okay? This is, everything is going well for Solomon, and he on his own initiative and in a public way sojourns to Gibeon up to do a very significant offering to the Lord. I don't really think it's a a matter of quantity. I'm not saying that, you know, the person who puts $20 in the offering plate is twice as blessed by God as the person who puts 10. That's not it at all. God is not interested in quantity. But I will say this. How does a king express sincerity to God? That's what he did. See, what Solomon is doing is Solomon is introspectively thinking, what what can I do in my status in light of the fact that God's given me all of this? How do I rightly show him honor? And for him, it's a thousand burnt offerings. I am, we should know though, if he was just checking the box, it could have been a handful of grain or a pigeon. Right? There's... He's doing it right. The conditions are perfect. You should note, not a word of prayer has yet been offered. Have you ever thought how the degree to which God may hear your prayer is determined long before you open your mouth? Let me just summarize this. In the midst of Solomon's success and prominence, Solomon sees that it is from God. And he publicly testifies to its source and power. He invites others in to go and set time aside to make a sincere and devout offering of praise and worship before the Lord. We, I don't want to miss, to miss that. In fact, I want to ask a few questions just along the way, a few questions that will kind of slow us down as we walk through this. Uh, practical questions about our life. Let me just start with this. Are you, okay, are you spiritually conscious of your dependency on God in all circumstances? Okay, I don't mean during the hard times. We, we cling to the Lord in hard times because... I think we make crisis synonymous with dependency on God. It is a crisis for us when we depend on God. Are we like Solomon, who are joyfully dependent on God in all circumstances, in our well-being? We recognize our dependency on God. I'm not saying, do you praise God in the good times? I'm saying, in the good times, do you recognize that God is the divine source of all the goodness? This is a very profound expression of humility, I think, for, for when we in our good times can continue to plead with God in the goodness. In my own home, this has been modeled really well for me lately. Uh, the way she prays for our children, and there's nothing wrong with them. I, I'm... No, I mean that in a high-minded way. Like, uh, 
And here I've baptized all four of them. And yet the way she would pray, you'd think, oh man, I hope they become Christian. Because we, she is dependent on the Lord. In that, we didn't check the box. We didn't move on. I did. She didn't, <laughs> in a way. And it's called me back in prayer. Every gift comes from God. Every gift. And we are ever dependent upon him. Which means he's always worthy of sober worship. When we just go to the Lord to get stuff, when we just call for money, that's not a relationship. That's calling him a sugar daddy. That's what it is. Is that your sugar daddy? What kind of relationship is that? When you express honor and devotion, when your expression of honor and devotion ever increases amidst your success, well, that's beautiful. When things are going really well for you and you think to call back to your parents and say, thank you for raising me like this. I would not be where I am if it were not for you. Imagine how much more God is worthy of that prayer. Are you continually conscious of your unceasing dependency of God in the good times and in the bad times? That's question one. Question two has to deal with verses two and three. Is your life publicly dependent on God among your people? Is there any publicity of your faith to God? among your people. I'm not saying among all people. I'm not asking you to grandstand or showboat or anything like that. Your people, whether it's your family or your friends, those who know you, do they know that you're dependent on God? Or are you private about that? It is worth noting here that Solomon pushes his dependency of God out of himself and upon his people. I mean, he's a very prominent figure, so his people is the nation of Israel. But to the degree that they are his people, he is essentially taking them through the motions to say, it's not that I am dependent upon God, it is that we are dependent upon God. Are you so careful? You know, there's this, we're, we're kind of a modest crowd sometimes, and there's this, this desire to be modest does it go to the extreme that no one knows anything about your spirituality, particularly those that you're supposed to be showing it to? I, had a very good, I have a good friend I met this week. Now, he works in the ministry. He's in the ministry. And he was telling his sons, talking to have a spiritual conversation with one of his kids, and his son said to him, well, you don't read the Bible. His son never saw him read the Bible. You know, and he responded out of the flesh. He's like, man, I read it double. Like I read it for myself and for my job. I'm always reading the Bible. But it hit him like a brick wall that his spirituality was taking place when they were not there. Is your life testimonial among the very people you long to follow your way? That's a good question. (sighs) 
We like to say the word private faith, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I just want to make sure that you're not substituting private faith in the place of little faith. We want our kids, we want our friends, we want our family, we want our colleagues to the degree that we know them and there are people. We want them to know our God is dependable. And a lot of times I think our privacy comes from lack of faith or shame or embarrassment. Like what if I say this thing about God and it doesn't pan out? You can still show your dependency. Do we pray with our people well when things are going really well at celebrations? These are just practical questions for you. You know, it's one thing to pray with the kids in the car before the big game or the big match. It's another thing, you know, after the game, when it went really well, to turn that and give that back to the Lord. Do we do that? Birthdays, do you celebrate? Is God part of that celebration? I'm trying to think of ways where maybe we don't recognize our ever, ever increasing dependency on God in good times. In easy ways among our people, we could say, you know, this is the day. God was in today. God was in this. Let's not miss it. Are we raising independent children? That's heresy for parents of God. Are we appearing secular among our people? That's not good. Here's another question. It comes out of the sixth verse. Solomon goes up with a thousand burnt offerings. I mean, do you come to the Lord in a way that makes God say, now this person really wants me? This, he, he or she gets my attention. I pray as I commute. I'm quoting me, and I'm sure I'm quoting some of you. I, you know, I pray when I, this is the way I get around the passage, pray without ceasing. Well, I pray when I'm commuting. It's pretty much all the time. I pretty much pray all the time. I'm a preacher. I'm all up in my spiritualness, right? I pray as I commute. You know what I've been encountered with in the Word? I put things on my calendar that are important, and I commute to them. The things that matter, I schedule the things I do in between is the in-between stuff. I pick up the dry cleaning, I play Candy Crush, and I pray. Is that the equivalency of your prayer? Is it a, is it a noble spiritual substitute for Candy Crush? Hmm. Solomon scheduled this and went and brought a thousand burnt offerings. He longed to get God's attention. How do we assign importance to our prayer life? What about your prayer life signifies to God fervent desire for him? This is a shameless push for prayer, the hour of prayer every week at our church, Wednesday nights. I'm not saying it's all that great. Doesn't have to be that great. He has not even opened his mouth in prayer yet. 
but he has shown God he desires the Lord to hear him and has set time aside. Do you do that? That alone to me, that alone is a faithful act of our church to say we ought to be praying, we will be praying. But in your own life, is it something you do in the in-between times? You know, any relationship, any relationship you can think of, that relationship, in, the people in it are sensitive enough to know if they are the thing that you have scheduled or if, the thing, or if they're the thing that you're doing in between the things you've scheduled. Any relationship that slides to the things you do in between the things that you really need to do, it's, people feel it. Is that God for you? Is God what you're doing in between the things you do? You know, if your life is going great, because some might say to me, well, I don't need to go to the Lord right now because I don't need anything. Oh, just hear that. Turn that around. Isn't a great life worth going to the Lord to celebrate? Are you not as equally dependent in the greatness as you were in the want? Isn't he the one who brought us from the want? All right, let's look at verse, uh, I'll read 7 to 10. This is Solomon's response. In Kings, we know this is a dream. So it says in, late in the night here, it's actually happening in the midst of a dream. So this is dream Solomon. And that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, you have shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, now be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numer numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Now this moment here is a little bit like genie in a bottle. I mean, it'd be nice if this happened, right? It'd be nice if the Lord, poof, what do you want? Like winning the lottery. And I think sometimes we see this and we read this, and because it's a little bit alien to our experience, and we kind of read quickly, or we hear quickly, or we think quickly, when something like this is, well, this has never happened to me, the relevance of what is taking place fades, so I want us to slow down for a second before we are too loud to claim this does not happen for us. For one, I don't, I don't think God is playing genie here. He doesn't say, your wish is my command. I'm not sure if it's a wish or a question or a test. I think it's like a question, but it is evaluated when all is said and done, it is evaluated. But is it really that difference, different from our experience? Here is what is written in the New Testament. Uh, this is Jesus speaking in John. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
I know, but he didn't show up to me in a dream and say that. He did come to earth and say it. Matthew 17, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Speaking of a demon. And Jesus says to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have the faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. James 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. It may not feel like this is happening to us, but God has said it is true of us. God has said he hears us in our prayer. And God has emboldened us to ask him in our prayer. In other words, what might have been rarely particular for Solomon thousands of years ago is generally available to all of his children now. We feel like it's different, but God says it's not different. In fact, you know, I think this, I think maybe we want to think the fundamental difference is the appearance of God in the dream. I, I think we should reject that. And maybe consider that the fundamental difference is in the spirit of the person asking and in the place in which he's been put. Solomon is, after all, the king of Israel. I mean, he's a very, very important, prominent position. I hope. Man, I hope God comes to people in important, prominent positions in particular ways. I hope God is, desires to give Solomon way more wisdom than we would have. Of all the people on the face of the earth who should have the greatest amount of wisdom, you would think it would be the king who's shepherding the people of God. To me, it's entirely fitting that God might come to him, but in our own setting, in our own, to our own measure, in our own need, do you, need, do you not think that God is equally attentive? Whether you need the wisdom for one person, yourself, or the wisdom for a family, or the wisdom for a community, or the wisdom for a nation? What is very interesting is Solomon's perspective here. Do you hear Solomon's language? God shows up and says, Solomon, what do you want? Solomon's answer is, it's full of what God has done. Lord, you put my father David on the throne. You put me on the throne. You've multiplied us like we are the dust of the earth. Lord, may I please have wisdom so that I can shepherd your kingdom the way you want. That's his ask. Think of that. Perfect conditions. This is... Solomon's careful way in the good times of prostrating himself and coming low before the Lord and worshiping the Lord in a way that God comes and says, what do you want? To which Solomon's answer is, all I deeply want is that which would allow me to do your will. Would you please give me 
the thing that I need to do the will in the place that you've put me. Solomon is looking at the world through the, vision, the view of the kingdom of God, not through the kingdom of man. He's got God's view in mind. He's got God's kingdom in mind. And so when God gives him audience, he asks for the very thing that God would want him to ask for. God tells us in James to ask for it. Ask for wisdom. Please, I have buckets of wisdom. I'm yearning to dote and pour out on my people if they would simply ask in faith. Solomon says, equip me to do that which you've called me to do. The view of Solomon is God's view, not man's view. Is this is how your requests are formed? How they sound? When you ask God for something, is it shaped primarily by his view of things or is it shaped by this world. One of the first prayers I can remember I repeatedly prayed was as a boy in Florida, I begged the Lord for a bunk bed. Give me a bunk bed, God. I'm nobody without a bunk bed. I wanted a bunk bed. And I got one. I don't know whether it was God answering my prayer or the fact that I was praying to my parents too. I don't know. I do know this. Lord, make me wise to be your servant among your people is a much better prayer. Then can I have a bunk bed? <laughs> and that sounds pedantic, but how much of our prayer, if you were to reduce your prayer, would it reduce to the bunk bed? Or to make me wise so that I can be a holy instrument in your hands to ever bring you glory? Where does it go? You put your prayer on the peak of that mountain and tell me which way it falls. You might say, I don't know, I don't know where I fit into God's kingdom. Yeah, and I got I don't have it's not a sermon on purpose. It's not a sermon on like where we fit in God's kingdom. It's kind of a tangential question, but I would I would say this as a starting point, who are you among? Consider calling that the kingdom of God, and assume your call is there. Where do you spend? If you could well-order your day, if you could imagine your day well-ordered, where would you spend a lot of time? I would say, I put a pin on the map and say, that kingdom of God's there. Avoid, avoid using, I don't know where I fit in the kingdom of God as a substitute phrase for, I don't like where God has put me. We're always up for the next thing in our culture. We always want to promote or advance. It's always next. We're so upwardly mobile. We're movers and we're shakers. Everything's always over the horizon. It's tomorrow and it's in the future. God is now. His kingdom is now. And his purpose for you is now. Who are you among now? Where are you laboring now? Pray in the midst of that. God answers him, by the way, 11 through 13. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart. See, God loves his heart. Oh, Solomon, you did such a good job coming to me. And then you asked for the right thing. Because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions and wealth and honor or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for long life, but have asked 
for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. Solomon gets what he asks for because he asks for the right thing. Do you want answered prayers? Ask for the right thing. Ask for the right thing in the right way. New Testament scriptures say, in Christ, the answer is yes. God yearns for us to ask a noble request. Can you imagine if you had a child who always asked the right thing? Mother, may I assist you with the meal? (laughs) Why, yes. Mother, I noticed that there was a little bit of lint behind the dryer. May I go clean that up after the meal, before my hour of prayer, my sweet hour of prayer? I mean, what are you, you would never say no to the perfect child. There is a yes. You come to the Lord well. You get his heart on things. You want what he wants and cry it out and he will say yes. Every time. He'll celebrate. You know what, I think, I think we far too often wonder if God hears our request rather than wondering about the nature of the words that came out of our mouth or the nature of the way we approached his throne. We ask for the wrong things in the in-between times of our life. And then, often only in crisis. We're running out of time. I want to show you one other thing. If you can just listen along or you could follow along. If you could turn to 1 Kings, I suppose 1 Kings 3 is where I'd like you to go. It's page uh, 243 in those books. That's, I'm bringing you the parallel account in, in Kings. That's all I'm really doing. We're not even going to read scripture. We're going to read titles of chapters. So 1 Kings 3 says Solomon's prayer for wisdom. Okay, and it's a fairly similar account. It's followed up in the 16th verse of that chapter with Solomon's wisdom. So the writers of Kings want to show you immediately how wise Solomon was. And so they they say, you want to see how wise he was? And they tell you. Okay, the Bible wants to testify, as it always does, to God did what God said he would do. So he gave Solomon wisdom, and he gave Solomon wealth, and he gave Solomon power, and he gave Solomon prominence. Okay, and so that's what it's going to show. So you see in the third chapter, Solomon's wisdom. In the fourth chapter, in the 20th verse, there's a, I have a title that says Solomon's wealth and wisdom. Then you see in the fifth and sixth chapters, Solomon's desire to build the temple. That building the temple of God was the fruit of his wisdom. And so five and six, he builds the temple. Seven is a little peculiar chapter. I only say this, it's a noteworthy idea in the life of Solomon because it says the end of six, that it took him seven years to build the temple. And it says at the beginning of seven that it took him 13 years to build his palace. That's curious. Hmm. 
But it goes on in 7, and you, you see he blesses, the, the, he brings the ark to the temple in 8, and he does a big prayer in the 8th cha- chapter, a prayer of dedication and a benediction and the sacrifices. You think a, a, a thousand bird offerings are big. In chapter what, 8, verse 63, he offers peace sacrifices to the Lord, 22,000 ox and 120,000 sheep. That's legit. <laughs> Queen of Sheba in chapter 10 comes to hear of his wisdom. In chapter 10, verse 14, he's super wealthy. Chapter 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. And this part of his life of his story, story of his life, excuse me, it ebbs. Something happens. God, God was faithful, entirely faithful to a man who in the good times was dependent on the Lord and asked the right question the right way and gave the right time to it. God gave it everything God said he would give and more to this man. And he receives it, and as time goes on, he, he just re- he precesses. He wanders. He drifts. Something happens to the point where in 11, by 11 in the chapter, the story becomes not about God, but about the man Solomon. And the gifts that God gave Solomon are not about God's kingdom. They are about man's kingdom. They don't have a view of God. They have a view of man. To the point where the scripture, the writers of scripture, the tradition of the Israelites do not consider Solomon a great king. He's a disappointment. Now, the writers of Proverbs would say it this way. If the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, is what it would say. And that fear is in the scaredness of God, but the awestruck knowledge of our constant, unceasing dependency on God for life is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. What Solomon had is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. You lose that, and you ruin the gift. That's what happened. You know, in, in this whole conversation about prayer, you know, all the questions that we've asked ourselves, do we, are we ever dependent upon God in all circumstances? Is our, is our faith at all public? The publicity of our faith repeats back to God. He sees us. Is our faith at all public among our people? Do we come to him in a fervent, desired way that, he, that would make him say, this person really wants to speak? All of these questions we've been asking, I, I, I want to end with this question. Think in your life. Think of the things that you've prayed for in your life and you believe God's given you. Have you taken them and continued to use them for God's kingdom? Or have you repurposed them for yours? This is, to me, what a great opportunity to allow the correction of Scripture to save us from the plight of Solomon. There's things we've asked, so many things we've asked for, I'm sure, in our life, things we've received, things that we yearn to the Lord. Lord, if you only gave me this or that, you know, well, you laced it with fine-sounding arguments, and you had at the time a fine-sounding heart. You may have been entirely genuine at the time, but maybe over time that gift has drifted from God's kingdom into man's kingdom.
Maybe it's gone from God's possession, given to you so that you might serve him well, to your possession, earned by you to be enjoyed well. Some of you prayed for children that way. Are they still God's children? Or are they yours? Some of you prayed for a spouse or are praying for a spouse that way. Is God's purpose and kingdom in that still? Some of you prayed to grow up to be a whatever. Have you just taken his prayer and run? I'd like us to pray through that. I'd like us just to reflect at the end of this morning on, Lord, help us bring these things back to you. May they be, Lord, let's pray. May they be, Lord, our 1,000 burnt offerings before you. The things you've given us, come back and lay them at your feet. Lord, we recognize you are the giver of all good things. We are ever dependent upon you. Father, we recognize through this testimony of Solomon that the highest and best we could offer you is to say, Lord, equip us in the way that would serve you best and give us a heart that yearns to serve. May we be wholly yours, Lord. We know, Lord, that would bring, to be able to say that genuinely when we rise in the morning would bring you pleasure. We know that to be able to say that as we lay our heads down in bed would bring you joy. Lord, I lift, up, I lift up each person here and the things that we've received over the years of faith that some have shared with you, 10, 20, 30 years of faith maybe. Father, if there is something that's drifted, something about us that's drifted where we now hold too tightly to it, help us, Lord, to give it back to you. Lord, help us to sojourn back into your kingdom and to stand in your kingdom with your view of things and be dependent upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.